Hello friends, Denny Pruto here with another lesson on my approach to sermon preparation. In this lesson I want to delve a little bit more into the idea of dealing with the details of the sermon. The details of the sermon are explanation, illustration, application, transition. And expressly I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of explanation. Remember now, I'm in favor of what we call a sequential outline. A sequential outline is a series of points, a series of points logically leading the congregation into an active understanding of the main point you want to make in your sermon. And so, in this sequence, in each piece of the sermon, you have some explanation, illustration, application, and transition uh, that you make. And you only have a short period of time in each, each piece of the sermon to do so. If you have a 30-minute sermon, you have about 10% of the time for introduction and 10% of the time for the conclusion. Uh, this means three minutes for introduction, three minutes for conclusion, and 24 minutes for the body of the sermon. 24 divided by 6 is 4. You have about four minutes in each piece of your sermon, in each uh, sermon point, if you will, uh, to explain, illustrate, apply, and make transition. And so you must be disciplined. And you must be circumspect. You must realize that you cannot delve into every detail of the text. After you've done your study, you no, no doubt have a pile of notes. And you wonder, how am I going to uh, present all of these details, all of these uh, things uh, that I've discovered from the text in a sermon. Well, you can't possibly do so. You have to uh, decide uh, the pieces of uh, explanation you're going to make by determining what's important for the people in the congregation to understand, to really understand the meaning of the text. And so, uh, again, you must be circumspect and use discipline. And uh, another thing you must do is practice. In order to successfully navigate the pieces of your sermon and to present the explanation, illustration, application, and transition necessary to move you and move the congregation uh, through the text to the main point of your sermon, you must practice. And so, I encourage you to do so. In my sermon on uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, the first piece of the sermon is the first three verses of the text. And so, after my introduction, I say to the congregation, please now look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and I refer them back to the text and read the text. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth uh, part of everything. 
He is first of all, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. Look first of all at the name Melchizedek. The text tells us that the meaning of this name is King of Righteousness. This is because it's composed of two Hebrew words, the Hebrew word for king and the Hebrew word for righteousness uh, put together. And so the name means king of righteousness. He is also, as the text tells us, king of peace. That is, king of Salem. The word Salem comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And, of course, this means peace, as in peace be with you. The location of Shalom, or the location of Salem, I should say, is the same location as Jerusalem, which was later built on that same hill. And it's the same hill upon which Abraham later sacrifices his son Isaac, Moriah. It's the same location. And Melchizedek is also priest of God Most High, or of the Most High God. That is, Melchizedek is a priest of the same God whom Abraham worships. Melchizedek is not priest of some Canaanite God. Melchizedek is not priest of some foreign God. No, Melchizedek is priest of the great God of heaven, your creator and my creator. He is a priest of our God. This means that there were believers in the land, in Salem, in this very location, in the location where Abraham also resided. Abraham wasn't the only believer in the land. Melchizedek and uh, the people whom, to whom he uh, ministered and the people uh, he served also lived in the land. You remember Job. Job lived during the time of the patriarchs, and Job and his family were also believers. And so Abraham, it seems, was not the only believer in the land, and Abraham's family was not the only believing family in the land. It's no doubt true that Abraham and Melchizedek uh, were acquainted with each other, that they knew each other. And uh, so we would understand that this would be the case. Uh, the text goes on to tell us that Abraham apportioned a tenth of uh, everything to uh, Melchizedek, a tenth of the spoils. Now, why would Abraham do this? I submit to you that Abraham would not uh, give a tenth of the spoils of war to uh, a stranger, no, he would give the tenth, uh, give a tithe of the spoils of war to someone whom he respected and whom he knew was a representative of the great God of heaven. And so I say to you that Melchizedek was known by Abraham and Melchizedek was known to be a priest of the same God whom Abraham worshipped. What a wonderful thing uh, this must have been. And so, I present these uh, pieces of explanation to the congregation. 
Now notice a couple of things that I did not do. I do not talk about uh, uh, Melchizedek blessing Abraham. And uh, I do not uh, talk about uh, other matters uh, with regard to who Melchizedek is, which are described later in the text. No, I save those pieces of explanation for further down in my sermon. And uh, I'm giving space to myself to explore the text and open up the text further and to answer questions that people might have with regard to Melchizedek as I move further into my sermon. And so, understand that you must be disciplined, you must practice, you must understand where you're going in your sermon and in your text, and only explain those pieces of the text that are necessary for the people to understand the text and to understand this piece of your sermon before you move on. Now often a question that arises in our offering explanation uh, to the congregation is where we put context. And the question is, what about context? I want to deal with that uh, piece of explanation in our next lesson. Thanks for listening.